it be a good Hey everybody, welcome back to The Collective. We got another awesome show for you today. We're going to be talking about some cool stuff. But first off, yeah, brother, thank you for joining us. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, boys. Yeah, you know what? Uh, you know what's fun about this is uh, what what no one gets to hear is the fun that we have with each other before this thing kicks off. I mean, within sixty seconds of uh, part of this, I mean, we're just snickering away at each other. It's it's so it's good to hang out with good people. That's all Absolutely. I got to say. Absolutely. A hundred percent it is. Um, so uh, does anybody have any thoughts, any questions, anything that they have in their mind burning before we jump into a topic? Nope. If you have an no, agenda, my it. friend, you bring it. I don't really. I, my agenda is very blank. <laughs> There's a lot of just uh, empty space there. But actually, this brings up a good point. Uh, actually brings up what we were talking about earlier. So we were talking about language mm -hmm. and that I am learning French. And that I'm taking, you know, I'm using Duolingo on my phone and I have, I do a little lesson every day or a couple lessons or whatever. Uh, we were talking about the differences between Parisian French versus, versus Quebecois French. Um, but it, it goes to say that really your, your language, your language in general is going to be changing based on where you're like the people you're surrounded by. And if slang starts to bleed in uh, based on, you know, whether you're trying to be proper or you're trying to be relaxed. Do you, do you guys notice any major differences? I don't know, Sean, do you speak any other languages? Yeah, I do. I actually speak quite a few. Okay. Uh, Have you it, guys... It, it, it's, it, but the language is known as this. In fact, uh, I got to experiment with it this summer when our two boys who've gone through the almost the complete uh, second language program here in bc they've been in uh french program and english program since i don't know kind of the start of junior high uh kind of elementary school sort of thing and so uh they they're supposed to be able to speak a, a second language do you know who spoke the most language over in europe this summer me because i speak the language called i can communicate with anyone <laughs> irrespective of what language they speak mm -hmm. so i don't i speak very little french but i can get things done because i know how to communicate yeah he's, he's very good at hand signals mm. that <laughs> i want that <laughs> um go ahead Seth, what are you gonna say um I can't remember what the ratios are specifically but it's something some ridiculous amount of people's comprehension to what it is that you are trying to say that comes from other things than what's actually said. Mm. And I think that only if I recall correctly, and I don't want to quote the numbers wrong, so don't quote me on this and just look into it, but it's something along 7% of what you are actually conveying comes from your words. And, 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 and the, the, the other side is 30% uh, or something from your appearance and 50% from something else. So it's, you, you have like a, there's a, a, a massive misunderstanding, you know, generally speaking amongst people, how important certain, certain aspect of our communication, if I could speak, it'd be great, but certain aspect of our communication is actually, we're putting a lot of weight in places where there's less weight needed and we're taking weight load off in places where we should be focusing in our communication, you know? So Sean, all you're doing is essentially, is essentially an extrapolation of that, right? You're going out and you're, you're using one of the, one of the communication methods that's the most 
effective to communicate and do it without words or words, but anyway. less words. And, and that's a learned skill, by the way, for anyone sure who's uh, listening to this. You have to go out. I mean, if if you're you've never left your small town in Saskatchewan or Manitoba or wherever. Uh, you probably aren't being challenged by the broader world around you to try to figure out how to communicate with it. And so I've just bounced around enough that with enough people that don't speak my language or I don't speak theirs, uh, I mean, not even a single word. Usually when I bounce into a country, I do need to know this. And I'll give you the example, uh, Donda Este El Baño. And that means where's the bathroom? And so as long as I've got that single sentence in whatever language or country that I'm in, If I know how to say, where's the bathroom? The rest will take care of itself. I can figure everything else out. So there's a time and a place where I need to go to the bathroom. So I need that single sentence. But beyond that, everything else is easy, man. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't even have to speak a word with a person. I can communicate with them irrespective of what's going on, even if there's time sensitivity. If there's, let's pretend for a moment, there's incoming rounds we're being shot at, I'll be able to communicate with that person just by looking at them and visually helping them understand what's going to happen next. No words are required if you are used to communicating without words. But at the same time, you've got to be used to communicating with a wide variety of people in a wide pile of settings so that you can be comfortable in all matters and be able to distill what's required in a glance mm-hmm. and then get on with the job at hand. Mm-hmm. That's a great point. And the ability to communicate, I think, uh, as you said, is it's a learned skill. But more so than that, I think the great point you made is that you have to be able to switch your communicative styles based on who you're interacting with. Mm -hmm. And I mean, you see this all the time with, you know, guys who are used to being down the bay with the boys and then they get called up to the office and (laughs) they don't know how to talk because they're used to using a lot of verbiage that is not so eloquent, say Mm -hmm. say the least. Yeah. And they're Um, nervous. That too. Because they're used to hanging out with their pals. And now all of a sudden, there's a guy sitting behind a desk looking officious. And the boys are super uncomfortable because it's not their wheelhouse. It's not what they're used to. And so mm-hmm. to that point, it's, it's less about, you know, um, being able to effectively communicate with your pals. It's about effectively communicating with the world. And the only way that you can get real good at that is to get out in the world and, and, and get comfortable with not only your pals, but get comfortable looking at the guy to your right and seeing that he's about 12 levels higher than you in command and control infrastructure or whatever. And, and just not being freaked out, just looking at him like he's a human being, which by the way he is Mm -hmm. and, and thinking, yeah, okay, cool. And, not freaking out, just carrying on. And that takes a while to get used to. You can't be a day one private, as an example, and have all of that figured out. But you should have it figured out within about mm, four to five years. Mm-hmm. And, and if you haven't got it figured out by then, it's because no one guided you through that process. And if no one's guiding you, well, get used to the idea that you got to start guiding yourself. Get comfortable with the world around you, for sure. Yeah, 
It's a uh, it's a tricky subject too because you know communication as a whole can be challenging, but it can also be really really simple. And I, I love the fact that you brought this up, Seb, was the fact that you know most communication is in body language and the tone, the tone and the mm -hmm. visual aspect. And when you actually think about other languages, that you know um, brings to mind Japanese, where it is a tonal language and you can say a word that is spelt basically the same, but using a slightly different tone and it will change the meaning of what it is you're saying. So it's very challenging to deal with. Um, you, guys... you know, just sorry, I, I'd like to throw this in because yeah. uh, I was considering, you know, how, how Seb is probably uh, thinking about this subject and it made me draw a delta or a distinction between uh, we'll say your standard issue military career and your standard issue RCMP career. I think that RCMP members are far better communicators than uh, the standard issue military career. I agree to that. Yeah. And, and that's because they're taught to communicate and uh, not just taught how to communicate. And I'm, these are generalizations, of course, um, but pressure tested in communication styles. So in, in those um, role playing scenarios uh, in uh, depot, as an example, you have to figure it out. You have to figure out how to speak better. And more importantly, you know what the best part of communication is that isn't often thought of listen better. Mm. And so uh, in the military, if you're communicating with someone, it's generally thought you're delivering, hmm. but you're not receiving. And, and that's a, that's a skill set that is just not discussed in the military, how to properly listen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, one I, I'd say a few things to that. I mean, really, you have another sort of uh, set of, um, of, I guess, the context is different, right? I, I, because you now are no longer dealing with, say, 19, 18, 19 year olds either, right? So now you're mid 20s to 30s, right? Like, so now you also yeah, have point. You also have more life experience and more communication. And now we're seeing some issues as a result, of course, of, you know, high tech the high tech world that we live in and some of the interactions that we don't have to have to be at the level at which we need to be. And unfortunately we, we see, we obviously, and when I say we, I mean the military in general, but also policing in general, we, we're mm -hmm. seeing a substantial drop in people's ability to communicate effectively, which is now needing to be addressed at a almost catastrophic level. Mm -hmm. And so <clears throat> anyways, I digress, but, um, but there is some really, really, awesome stuff on neuroscience and communication. And I was reading last week, I was just so happened to read an article because I was writing a paper on what was it? Um, age of criminal responsibility and how the youth brain works and how they can be swayed certain ways in, in inspirational leadership. So it sent me down the drain of inspirational. It's not a drain, but it sent me down the rabbit hole of, 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 uh, of inspirational leadership and how is it actually achieved? And one of those sort of, one of the constant that's there with all these great leaders, like, you know, Gandhi and Mother Teresa, and like the list goes on and on and on, like just Martin Luther King and just a great Nelson Mandela and just a great list of, of some of the, I think it was like the hundred most inspirational leaders, Abraham Lincoln and so on. Anyways, basically their ability to communicate to an end state. So communicate with people in order to make them feel. And that is something that's 
It didn't surprise me at all. But basically, they all had that in common. If you're capable of being such an engaging speaker and having communication with people to the point where you can actually elicit emotional reactions, you are actually achieving something at a communication level that far exceeds passing on a message. Right. And, mm -hmm. and, and, and so this paper with <laughs> the name ex escaped me at the moment because my brain is full of useless information. <laughs> but, but if you ever need, if you ever need to refer to it or if you'd like to, if you'd like to read it, it's just an amazing paper. And there's a lot of neuroscience to, to, that explains all of this and how it works. And it's, it's quite impressive. Well, I got a question for you mm -hmm. uh, because I haven't read that paper, mm -hmm. uh, or at least that I remember. Mm -hmm. uh, so when you were reading it, did you, because here's what I thought when you were saying that is cool. When I'm communicating with a person in 3D who's standing right in front of me, I feel like I can reasonably, I can communicate reasonably well. Uh, but digitally, you know, across the internet, that's a whole different level of neuroscience that is still a puzzle. And being able to communicate is I find to be more challenging, of course. Mm -hmm. uh, but I haven't really thought about how to communicate digitally and try to give some sort of a wrap around it to embed or enmesh or impress or, or influence or shift people in the digital world through a, a more neuroscience-based approach of either inflection or lighting or I don't mm -hmm. know. Mm -hmm. Digitally, have you thought about it much? Yeah, no, not really. I mean, I, I did because I read a few books like one of them. And, I, and again, I'll have to go back in, in my bank here. Uh, I, one of them is, um, what's it called now? The Art of Communication. Because there's, there's, two, there's two books. There's one is The Art of Communication or something like that. And then the other one is The Art of Communication, uh, Digital Communication in the Age of Digital Comms, right? And, uh, and yes, Sean, like in there, he addresses a lot of those issues, but I don't think that at the core, those issues are what the speaker himself had to be, has to be changing right, other right, than, right. you know, those are external factors that are associated with digital communication. But for you, for instance, I mean, when you are speaking right now on the live on Instagram, you're already doing that. Like you were already connecting. We're already feeling something. You're, you're very yeah. good at that. So okay. it's just, it's just a matter of how do I, how do I maximize the impact that this has using the external factors that I don't yet control, you know, so to speak. Mm. I think that's where, that's where I would kind of focus my attention. And if that means having a freaking, you know, black light or a red light or having, you know, whatever the case may be, um, uh, and then you can do that because because there is if there is science behind that then you you definitely can do that but yeah well, I, th th this is what I was thinking and so you know uh, I've had people say to me you know what I kind of like uh, checking in with your lives in the morning because it kind of feels like I'm hanging out with you in your house having a coffee because <laughs> you know I mean look look at my professional studio background it's beautiful <laughs> and <laughs> it's fantastic. <laughs> put a lot of thought into it it's but uh, <laughs> kind of mm -hmm. but uh, you know what's interesting is when i think of uh as an example first thing that comes to mind is travis's silvercore podcast uh, mm. uh setup like when i think of that bam right away i feel like comfortable and it's because of the lighting it's because of there's a um there's a spectrum of light frequency that he's got set up in his studio where it feels warm and mm -hmm. inviting 100%. and i feel like it's not like i'm getting a hug 
but it kind of feels like that, you know, that sure does. instant, right. So, mm. you know, I, I recognize it, I feel it, but I'd never actually considered it until you mentioned it, Seb, that, mm -hmm. oh, hang on a sec, Sean, you have been missing a little bit of the science of digital neuroscience on this. I need to think about it a bit more. Yeah. And what's really interesting with this is it anybody can apply these these principles in the sense that uh, look at a guy like Abraham Lincoln, for example, right? Like he, he destroyed and failed at multiple speeches, yet has delivered some of the most powerful speeches to ever be heard mm -hmm. in the history of humanity and recorded. I mean, I don't we don't know about heard because there's no necessarily no recording of such speeches before, say, 2000 years ago. And I'm sure there was. But uh, but we can use him as an actual example of this isn't necessarily a, 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 an innate skill. This, is, this might be something that you have to work at. And I mean, if you know anything about Abe Lincoln, he actually wrote speeches daily and rehearsed them daily. And he also took speeches from other great speakers and repeated them. And he learned them by heart so oh, that wow. he could re-deliver them. And he did all this stuff. And he did it over and over and over again until he was able and, and the capable speaker that he became ultimately. And so it's a really, and of course, he didn't know any of this and he didn't have the neuroscience behind and all the, all the luxury that we have today with knowledge and, you know, <laughs> knowledge is power really. But uh, yeah, so if somebody's out there thinking, you know, I'm just not a natural speaker. Well, that's a good cop out. Send your arms up in the air. And call it <laughs> yeah, yeah, yep. yeah. But, <clears throat> I don't think anybody's a natural speaker. Everything is it's worked, it's earned, it's practiced, it's over time done over and over and failed at and tried again and failed at and tried again. We got a comment from Daniel saying, I believe that is what, what great leaders master is the ability to tailor their communication towards multiple groups in front of them that leads all to the same mission or goal. Yeah. It carries Absolutely. on. Something medical uses often to help their patients, members, chain of command, understand the current situation slash issue and impact it may have on employment and so on. I think that's pretty, pretty accurate. Thoughts? Absolutely. And just, sorry, not to hijack this whole thing, but I, Never. you know, that's, that's why it, we're here to get smart. Keep <laughs> on keeping on. So one of the things to look at, and this is what, um, what he said there was extremely accurate. And one of the, one of the things to look at is also who am I dealing with and what is the communication style? Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that people don't like to do is actually invest time in learning who they're leading. And for me, there, there are ways now that are very easy to administer certain tests where, and we're talking about very comprehensive tests that have very little theoretical acts to grind in, you know, in the, in the field, um, meaning that there is some some understanding of those base principles, and they're not very they're not being disputed so much because there's certain things that are just that are just beneficial. And so, um, where was I going with this now? Jesus. Okay. So yeah. So so sometimes I do that, and then my my head <clears throat> gone somewhere. Uh, you know what? But here's what's cool about that. Yeah. Is there's people who are still learning how to speak. Mm -hmm. who would freak out in that moment. Mm -hmm. But you you manage that like a total professional, in my opinion. No, seriously. <laughs> it's no not joke. my first rodeo. I lose my, my <laughs> yeah, yeah. thoughts it, it, it all happens the time. To, I think it happens to all of us from time mm -hmm. to time, but it's how to move through that, which you did like a professional. 
Mm -hmm. So where I was going with this is, is, uh, before my little hiccup is basically you can administer certain tests with your teams, for example, and figure out what kind of leadership style the person exudes, even if that person is an actual, actually in a position of leadership, everybody's a leader in an organization. If you want that organization to thrive, make them so right. But also as you're administrating your tests, you have your personality styles, you have your leadership styles, you have your, your, the things. And so associated with that is a incredible bank of data, such as what is the type of reward that these people respond best to? What is the type of this? What is the type of communication style? What are some of the do's and don'ts associated with the communication style and all those things? And you can even take it because this is at the individual level, but you can also do and run the same for your team and have an entire team dynamic established for you graphed, basically saying, this is what your team is made of. It's comprised of 70% of these types of people. It's comprised of 30% of these types of people. The, the, the accuracy with which those tests are coming back is absolutely astonishing. Like we ran them over and over in my um, introspective leader workshops and people are always blown away. And it spits out like 9, 10, 11, 12 pages of data about those things. And so now as a leader, not only do you have what you think you know about communication and the things that you've worked on to be as good as you could possibly be, but you're also armed with science and data on the people that actually work for you. So there's always outliers. And I already hear people say, you know, well, maybe this is going to fall in that category and whatever. And that's, that's absolutely accurate. There are outliers, but you can, at least it gives you a place to start. So, you know, based on your results, there's certain things that do you, do you feel that those results are accurate, an accurate depiction of who you are as a communicator? The person goes, absolutely, it's right on. Well, as a leader, you now have a way to, have that, to communicate effectively with that person specifically or with that group specifically. I mean, how much more, you know, get, I, if, if you're armed with all the information and you have the ability to seek outside to, to, to better yourself as a communicator, what's left? Yeah. We got uh, a couple of really good questions here um, that we're going to dive into right now. And we got uh, from Chaos Custom Woods and More. was going to ask if the collective had advice on speaking to a larger audience. We'll be teaching our first class this week, and there's so many great takeaways here that are applicable. Um, any thoughts on this, guys? Sean, I'm going to throw you on the fire. Yeah, sure. Um, you know, I think here's here's what I always said to anyone who's this general question is an example is have your first 10 seconds nailed mm. and then the rest will take care of itself. That's a good one. And so, you know, as you step up to that podium and with your notes and you tap them down or whatever your little lucky rabbit's foot moment is, you know, however you get yourself organized, you get that done. And as you're looking at the crowd, tapping your notes and then you get your first 10 seconds out of the way and it'll sort itself out. And for me, it was kind of that who, what, when, where, why, how. So yeah. uh, good afternoon. My name is Warren Officer Sean Taylor. This afternoon, what I will be covering is the stripping assembling of the C7 rifle. Blah, 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 blah. Ten seconds. Yeah. Get that out of the way. Now you're in the game. Yeah. Uh, where it kind of all falls apart is when you don't have your first 10 seconds sorted out. Now you're stepping truly into the void. And if you're uncomfortable in that, things can kind of fall apart. Uh, I'm super comfortable stepping into the void. But I am also even more comfortable by having 10 seconds pre-void. So get your first 10 seconds nailed and you'll be all right. Yeah. Seb? Yeah. So there's, there's, there's a few things there that maybe might be 
might be helpful. But um, first of all, a larger audience is just an audience. Yeah. Right. That's like saying if I shoot a straight round at five meters and I move to 15 meters, oh my God, everything's changed. Nothing's changed. A straight bullet at 15 at five is a straight bullet at 15 if the principles remain the same. Right. So just act the way you would if you spoke to one person respectfully. Right. And so I say respectfully, because if sometimes if you're one on one with someone, you may get very familiar. And now you, you have a different idea of what this should look like and how it should sound when you're speaking to a group. But really, it makes no difference how many people are watching. What if I said to you, I want you to record your, your, your conversation or your presentation to a Zoom thing and we'd send a link to 50,000 people. Would you change how you communicate? You probably wouldn't even care, right? Because they wouldn't be in front of you in your face. Now, yeah. this is a this this is you know Sean nailed it. Have your rehearsals, especially for the beginning, your opening statement. The rest of it, I don't try to micromanage it too much because most of the time I don't even end up talking about some of the stuff that I've was rehearsing. But what's really important is the first couple of seconds. Do I want to listen to this person or not? And I'm not trying to impose my competence on them, but I'm trying to be genuine. And that's a critical skill. Be genuine. Like they need to see somebody up front. That's somebody that, that they feel they can connect with because there's rel relatability there. So start with this, a good introduction that's very genuine and rehearse it to the death and know, generally speaking, where you're 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 going with the conversation if you can have visual aid memoir by all by all means do it if you if you can have you know even six slides over uh, i don't know like an hour presentation or whatever just so that you can stay on track in the event that a panic inducing moment occurs and you lose track of where you are or where you're going and you're standing in front of a group now here's another thing we're really uncomfortable as human to spend time in front of people without talking like we're really, really uncomfortable to that. But the fact is the four seconds or the six seconds that we are quiet walking on the stage or getting another vantage point or whatever makes no difference at all. It makes it, it makes the information that we just provided palatable. And that time frame is only the extenuation of it is in our heads. Nobody is waiting for us to speak faster, but often what we want to do is we want to fill voids. We want to feel the quietness. We, we, we don't want them to stand there looking at the stage without saying anything. Yet some of the greatest speakers to ever speak spoke actually a lot less than a lot of people that go up in front, right? Like just by way of having more silence and pauses and that, that kind of stuff. So if you are actually finding yourself there in front of the large audience and something happens and you have a, a bit of a moment, take a breath. Take a breath, just reorg your mind. Where am I going? Where, you know, how's the best way to kind of address this? And ultimately, if you had a catastrophic failure, okay, which, which happens, if you had a catastrophic failure, you just say it. You just say it. Like, look, guys, like I had all this dialed in my head and all of a sudden I hit the stage as 9,000 people and my head went boom. OK, so let me start here and bring yourself. People will get a laugh out of this. They'll be like, that would totally be me because most people yeah. will relate to this because most people do not like to public speak. And if you were to ask them to ask a question in front of everybody, they generally would get you know, nervous and have an adrenaline dump as they're about to grab the mic and say something. Hopefully, I'm not saying some stupid. So those are all things to consider. When you are doing your rehearsals and when you are doing your rehearsals of the first, say, 15, 20, 30 seconds, your introduction, whatever that looks like, make sure that you do it um, in multiple layers. So start with 
what is it that I want to speak to when I introduce myself? Then add the what are the lights going to feel like on my face and blinding me? What is it going to feel like when I'm standing in front of all these people looking at me? And some of them that, you know, my perception might be that they're judging me or whatever the case may be. So that's my other point. Do not worry about what you think you read on people's faces. And let me get you, let me tell you this by experience. I was doing a presentation in front of a few hundred, a hundred people in, uh, in Alberta during a realtors conference. And one guy was looking at me like I killed his firstborn or something and the entire time. And, uh, and I was, I was caught aback by that. I was like, what the, you know, what's going on with this guy and what have I said or whatever the case may be. He came to me after he's like, Hey, can I, can I speak to you in private? And I'm absolutely. And I was waiting for, you know, the anvil to be tossed my way. And, uh, and he goes, this was by far the, you know, the best speech or presentation I've ever had. Like I am on fire. I'm, you know, whatever. So he, he gives me all these feedback and I'm like, his face did not at all deliver what it is that he was actually thinking. So at the end of the day, you can't control who's going to relate with you or not as a, as a, as a speaker. All you can do is to be the best version of yourself and somebody is bound to not, to not be for, for you to not be their cup of tea. And that doesn't matter. They're outliers, right? But at the end of the day, when you're looking at people's faces, don't try to don't try to read how you are doing by looking at their reactions, unless evidently you're going totally overboard and <laughs> they're, they're all shaking their heads or something. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so that would be another an another piece. Uh, and then uh, I think that's pretty much it. Yeah. Those are all solid points. I mean, the, the, you, you touched on all the things that I was going to say too, which is like speak to one person. And actually it works really well when you're, when you, especially when you're moving along the stage or in front of people and you speak to one person as you're talking your point, and then you turn and you speak to another person and then you move to another person. And I find that quite easy, <clears throat> made life a lot easier for me. But uh, the only other thing I was going to say was the fact that it, uh, like you said, get used to the silence. 10, 15, 20 seconds of, you know, I'm going to move here. I'm going to move there. Um, I, I really like having points just like four main points that give me a broad, this is kind of what I'm talking about. And then that way I can always come back to it and be like, Oh, right. That's what I was talking about and carry on. Um, I got another comment here. The ability. I'd, I'd oh, like to throw something else on yeah, this by yeah. all means. Yeah, this is for chaos, uh, custom woods and more. Yep. They may not need this. Uh, reinforcement, but I'm just going to check check it out anyway. And it's uh, it's kind of a funny little coincidental story since I brought up Abraham Lincoln. And um, so at one point in my military career, I found myself um, at the theater where Abraham Lincoln was assassinated, standing in the booth that he was assassinated mm -hmm. in. Not too many people get to go in that booth, but I was lucky because I was down there working with a special military organization who had access to that and they only went and visited it once a year with the with the candidates on a course and so as i stood in that booth thinking wow this was this is a big deal man this is a big deal not only in history but this is a big deal for me and i was feeling the moment based on a guy called abraham lincoln who apparently wasn't a very good speaker and at some point, 
he had to become a good speaker. Mm -hmm. And so if I, if I'm to step back and consider that story, it kind of looks like this. Abraham Lincoln didn't know that I would be standing in that booth surrounded by candidates from the Delta team selection phase. And so as I consider that moment, I'd say this, that chaos, custom, woods, and more, you may be doing a presentation to a larger audience uh, at some point in the near future, but you're doing a presentation to generations from now if you deliver the right information. Mm -hmm. if, you, if you take the moment for what it is, it's not just the real-time moment, it's the eternal moment that you're delivering. If you can say just one thing that is impactful for everyone in that room, that impact will ripple on through eternity. Yeah. And so that's what Abraham Lincoln is to some degree in a weird way for me. You know, he impacted me in that moment, though it shouldn't have happened uh, from uh, sort of a, an outsider's perspective. It, it was a moment that's so rare that um, it, it kind of shouldn't happen, but it did. And so I can take that with me thinking, man, there, there's so many unique moments in life where historical characters have impacted me that just through a rare sequence of events or rare coincidence, I get to recognize it now. But not everyone gets to recognize those moments. And so I'm asking Chaos Custom Woods and More to recognize that you could be influencing many generations from now. So I'm, I'm not trying to scare you. I'm trying to help you understand that your, your responsibility is to deliver the information in the real time, but also to deliver the information into eternity. That's fantastic. Uh, no pressure whatsoever. Just uh, Well, you it know. isn't pressure. <laughs> no, no, honestly, there's no. zero pressure in that no. because if you're doing it well in the real time, the rest just takes care of itself. For sure. So don't freak out, of course. But know that whatever you're going to say is just don't contextualize it through the sense of, oh, it's just another Tuesday. Yeah. What, what changes things with them right now also in line with what Sean is saying here is that this is actually a class they're teaching, which means that they bring stru structure to this, right? Once you have structure, it's regardless of what happened. Like think of the worst case catastrophic scenario you could think of. You show up there and you go blank. You have your slides. You have your you have your course content, so yes, you can have a rough start and 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 salvage it. It ten times and you can nine times out of ten you can. So it's not it's not uh, especially in that context. I'm not talking about you have you're on a TED talk and you have seven minutes. <laughs> if you mess up the first two minutes, you're done. Like they they wrote you off, and I get that. That's a lot of pressure. But when you are delivering a course or course content. All you need to know is the course content. You're there to teach him, to teach them something, and all you need to be is genuine and available. People read through BS like nobody's business, right? So having a made-up speech line or being trying to come across a certain way just inherently isn't going to work. Just be just be you, and and go to teach your course, and uh, and it will take care of itself. And if you do it correctly, then what Sean is speaking about will will be uh, it will be reverberating in eternity, so to speak. Yeah, and even if, as Seb said, even if you do it completely wrong, <clears throat> terribly wrong, do you know what I'm going to take away from that class? Is wow, that was a disastrous start, but man, it all got turned around, and then I had a few laughs. 
And then I got to meet the instructor and he or she was pretty cool. And that's how I remember things. Man, if it's a monotone, if it's a flat dimension delivery, if there's nothing outstanding in that day where I mean there's there's a, a delta between uh, awesome and less than awesome, then it almost doesn't stand out for me. If a, if a good leader or a good del- sort of instructional delivery individual shows up and they crack it out of the park, yeah, I'll remember it, but I won't remember it quite as much as, uh, you know, if they're walking down the center aisle towards a podium, they trip on their shoelaces and take a header and the place bursts out into laughter and then they stand up and that's when it becomes important. That's when I see the real individual who's presenting. Do they get up and officiously brush themselves off and pretend that it didn't happen? Or do they look around at the audience go, can you believe that? Let's get going. <laughs> That's how you make an entrance uh, yeah, right there. So, so you know, it, it really depends on, on the wraparound of the delivery. If you show up like a robot with amazing information, guess what? I'll have forgotten it by the end of the day. That's a good point. Um, so we have uh, another couple questions, a couple comments here from Scanman. The ability to elicit an emotional response, either consciously or unconsciously, knowing you're doing it. I would say that is the key trait of being a good communicator or speaker. I think it goes to what you were saying earlier there, Seb. Yeah. Um, and then we have... Uh, so hang Dan- on a sec. Can you back that up for a yep, sec? For sure. Because um, that's... I, I agree with that. But uh, if you don't, if you don't consciously know that you're doing it, then how do you know that you're doing it well if no one's giving you feedback? Mm-hmm. And so to Seb's point, you know, that individual who may, let's say they were sitting in the front row giving you the stink eye, that's, that's their happy face, we'll say. So if you've got a crowd in front of you that's looking super stern and you're not getting any conscious feedback, then how do you know you're doing a good job? Well, guess what? Now it's your responsibility to go figure that out. You've got to go ask the question. That's why I ask from time to time, from friends dude am i botching this like am am i on the right track like am am i going backwards or am i going forwards you got to check in you gotta you gotta rely on people that who are either a smarter than you or you respect their opinions or whatever the case is but you can't operate in isolation on this emotional response aspect i think no and and, and performing something consciously versus unconsciously allows for repeatable behavior right so it's it, I'll, I'll make a, a metaphorical segue with jiu-jitsu for example so how many purple belts you you ask hey how do you get in this position and they will say actually i have no idea i always get here somehow okay <laughs> and this is a position that you're really good at you're 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 evidently you know spent a great deal of time fine-tuning this position yet you do not know how to set it up if you learn to set it up and you learn to articulate your setup it now becomes repeatable because you're capable of finding ways to get to the position that puts you at an advantage you are now conscious of what you need to be doing to reach that goal it's exactly the same with with speaking it if if it is unconscious make it conscious mm-hmm. you have to you have to and it'll, it'll be repeatable that, that is a great point. Uh, any other comments on, on that? We want to carry on. Everyone's good. Okay. Uh, so Daniel points out, uh, asks, in your opinion, who would be your top military communicator, i.e. Churchill, Hitler, Stalin? I don't think Stalin was a great communicator, but um, 
I mean, he was really good at shooting people, but that, that's the point. Um, who do you guys think? That Sean? is a form of communication. I, that's true. That is, well, who do you think your who would be your top military communicator? Mm, out yourself? of those three, it would be Churchill because uh, well, I, I, I lean example, I though. lean more towards uh, uh, inspiring leaders, mm-hmm. um, and so in that list, it would be Churchill. What about just a general outside? Um, of the first thing that came to mind, and this isn't, I'm not going to claim that this is the top military communicator, and I'm not even sure if it's in top three, but I will be truthful on who uh, popped into my head immediately, and I'm going to botch his name. That's how uh, dumb I am sometimes, but it's uh, Admiral uh, McRaven. Mm. He has a speech uh, that he delivers to a graduating class. The make and, your bed uh, speech, right? Yeah, yeah, and, and I, what does it? It goes on for about twenty minutes ish or so, mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you've never heard that, that's a mandatory. And so the reason that I quite like that's why, when it came to mind, here's what I thought: um, he's got some charisma, he's confident, well spoken, mm-hmm. presents well, deep experience, respected comes across as a crisp, clean fighting machine. And all of the things as he stands there before he says a word are all the things that I respect before he says his first word. And it just so happens that he's intellectual. He delivers his spoken word. He articulates well. And he comes across as an immensely polished leader. And I don't mean polished in the sense of lots of makeup and roll him out in front of the cameras to once again, emptily speak. He shows up owning his space based on his experience and who he is. And the only polish that he has is polish of decades, not polish from the makeup department. Mm -hmm. And so he's the first guy that came to mind. That's a great choice. Seb, what do you think? From an from an historical perspective, I mean, there's a lot. Of, there's been a ton of 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 documented great leaders that we don't have a whole lot about, right? But yeah. by way of by virtue of the things that they were able to achieve at the time at which they achieved them with what they had, they had to have been right. <laughs> and so it would be really interesting to have actual you know knowledge of what was said and how it was said. But uh, from an historical perspective, Marcus Aurelius was definitely that yeah. guy. Right. He was Marcus Aurelius was a general. Marcus Aurelius was a savage. Marcus Aurelius was an incredibly well-spoken individual that that had the ability to rally and do all the things that, you know, is required of military uh, precision. Um, in the in the more local context, I'm a big fan, and I know I don't know exactly what the contention is around that person specifically, and some of the stuff that's come out in the media. I don't care about that. From a strictly communication standpoint, I'm a big fan of Major General Rouleau. I, I think he's say. fantastic. I was going to say the same too. Yeah. That's a good one. Um, these are we're talking of, about Mike Rouleau, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. The um, the first one that came to my mind actually was, um, and I just lost the train of thought on that. Was um... <laughs> welcome to my club. Oh, let me, let me fill in the gap on Mike Rouleau. So sure. I had the privilege of watching Mike come into the unit, and uh, when he, you know, didn't know anything about it, and uh, he came in 
as a super cool guy. And he was never uncool. Mm -hmm. And when I left, he was cool as a cucumber then. And so I never saw him deviating from his coolness. He was just a cool dude. He spoke well. He held his space well. You respected him because he didn't say dumb things, man. Like, it's not so much about always uh, as a communicator. It's not so much about just the things you say. Mm -hmm. It's just, just be cool. And the you things don't have you to don't say, say anything. Mm -hmm. yeah. Just hang out and be a cool dude. And that will go a mile and a half downrange towards being even cooler. Yeah. I remember now it was uh, uh, General Rommel. Everything mm -hmm. I've read about mm -hmm. him says that he was an outstanding communicator, especially the fact that he was up in the front with his troops working um, and being able to communicate extremely well, which enabled his successes through North Africa and uh, a lot of other areas that he was fighting in. But uh, there's been some absolutely outstanding military, military communicators throughout time. And I think a lot of them are left kind of in the, uh, you know, in the, in the dirt a little bit because they're just not talked about. There aren't many books about, you know, that one random sergeant who led his troops from, you know, the coast of Normandy all the way through to Germany. There's just not a lot of books about that particular guy or the random um, corporal who, you know, saved his men because he was able to communicate certainly like there's, there's, all kinds of examples that aren't written about and they kind of get left to the wayside a lot because not a lot of books were written after about the uh, the troops. A lot of generals and a lot of uh, higher up officers write books after the wars and talk about communications and styles and so on and so forth. But uh, I think a lot of it gets left to the wayside. So there's that. Uh, that's Oh, Chaos Custom says, thanks guys. So, so there you go. Good luck with uh, everything. That, yeah, man. Get Let us know right away. Yeah. Let us know our want. Absolutely. Um, and then we got this one here. The importance in getting the feel of the audience, knowing their areas of knowledge and expertise, their mm -hmm. experience. That's a that's a key thing. If you're going into it blind, you don't know who your audience is, mm -hmm. you're mm -hmm. gonna have a they're gonna have a rough job, <laughs> rough talk. And, and, and before it escape my it escapes my mind, I will I will say basically what I do is I want to know what my target audience is. That's an absolute fact. But also, where where is the common grounds? You mm. need to establish the common grounds before you start spouting your mouth or bringing your experience into, into the picture because you need to understand that your experience is viewed through your lens and your lens understands how your experience benefits a certain, a certain type of people or everybody, mm. but they don't. So they don't have that. So if you're coming in from the military, what does the military have to do with realty? for example, or if you're coming from policing, what does that have to do with realty and why should I be listening to you, right? Mm -hmm. And so for me, it's it, this it's that bridge, bridge the gap approach. Who am I speaking to and why is some of my experiences potentially beneficial to them? And, mm -hmm. and, and, and it's not for me to sell them that, but it's through, through my, my words and my actions and the way I deliver it, have the ability to, 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 to connect. But also... I also have to know enough about what they do so that I can relate certain things that I say with what it is that they do. You know, for example, if you're a realtor and you have to do cold calls, well, if I didn't know that realtors are doing cold calls, I never, I never do that. When they hear that, they now have a piece of that person that's communicating with them that actually understands them on a deeper level. And that's nothing. It's just a surface level information piece, right? Mm -hmm. But it is enough to create those connections. 
So you need to know, don't worry about knowing exactly what your audience is about, but worry about who am I speaking to and why am I, why is what I'm bringing to the table beneficial to them? And then try to sit, try to know something about them that you can correlate to their field. And that again, reinforces that piece, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, any thoughts on this, Sean? Yeah, I think, uh, I think Seb nailed it. And, and to simplify it for anyone uh, out there, just from a different, a uh, little bit of a angle, you'll never know the person in front of you. If you just keep talking, you gotta listen. <laughs> the only maybe the only talking you should be doing is, "Hey, how you doing? I haven't seen you around here before. What brought you here?" And then shut up. And so the style of communication or the art of communication is knowing when to talk and when to listen. And if you don't know how to engage in a conversation with an unknown group, well, it's your job to figure that most important part out is how to get them talking, not how you should start talking. And so the job is to figure out the unknown in front of you through interacting with it. And that is a communication skill that needs far more work than most people understand because they're used to talking. They're just not used to interacting. Mm -hmm. Seb obviously knows how to interact. I'm sure that any uh, group he stepped into that he didn't know very well, that is a lifelong skill that started probably back in depot mm -hmm. oh it's, yeah it started before that i mean it's been it's been just a lifelong of a, a, a lifetime of, of communicating but also i come from a background where uh, and this is total useless information but just you know in the spirit of knowing each other a little bit better anyways my mom was a psychologist and she the only thing that she she was very good at a lot of things, but she was the greatest communicator I've ever been exposed to. Like she was absolutely insanely good at communicating. And one of the things that she loves, she loved to do was to communicate with me as if I was an adult. Like, and this was yeah, we from did the same a, with our boys. Exactly. And this was from a very, very young age. And we would have some very deep and, and meaningful conversations. But what she loved to do the most with me was communicating. And so, and because she worked three jobs and because she had a bunch of things on the go, she was a single mom and it was really tough times. We basically, she would basically come, uh, you know, home at night and then wake me up from a dead sleep. And we'd go in the living room and have like a, a 30, 40 minute conversation, or we did it in my bed or whatever. And then I went back to bed and I went to school mm -hmm. the next day, you know, kind of thing. But it is, it is a lot of practice. It's, communicating when you can is jumping on the collective when you can if you have something to contribute even even if you i'm sure if you sent chance you know a message saying hey man i would love to come and join you guys for a bit of practice Absolutely. hey man i'm all for it like you know that's great stuff mm -hmm. and and it's amazing how much people have to contribute to to, to conversations that think they don't and then you have a lot, you have the, the other side of the spectrum where you have people that always think they have something to contribute and really they haven't dialed in their own business. Yeah. Right. So, so those two things are not mutually exclusive and you need to know where you stand, but it's important to just do it. That's, that's really it. Yeah. yeah. And to calibrate to where you stand requires active calibration. If, if your internal dialogue is, I'm good to go, I'm good to go, I'm good to go every single day for the rest of your life, that's probably just because you're not calibrating, uh, or at least you're not yeah. calibrating around the right people. Mm -hmm. And so if, if it's low-lying fruit all around you, 
you'll never want to reach up higher to higher fruit because you're just quite comfortable cherry picking the stuff that's right there within arm's reach. It's got to be out of arm's reach. You've got to seek more difficult, uh, higher levels, mm. people who are just doing it better and study them in order to understand how you can do better yourself. Yeah, that's a great point. Uh, Daniel kicked in with this one, Captain Winners on military communicators. Yeah, I think that would probably be a top one. Uh, yeah, I do have cool. one qu one question for you, Seb. Mm -hmm. Do you still think in French? No. Or do you think in English? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, 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 yeah. Do you have to, do you have to like translate when you're going back and forth? No. No, it's all no. seamless. Yeah, I, I, it's, it's, it's actually way, way easier for me to communicate in English than it is in French. Way easier. And not because like my vocabulary in English is way more, is, 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 is much broader. I have a lot more tools and, and, and ways to get to the, to pass on the message that I'm trying to pass on those types of things. Mm -hmm. I seem to have a lot more. And, and probably, I mean, if I was to look at this objectively, I spent my adult life sort of fine tuning my communication style as an adult, as a, whereas the, so consider that I lived in BC, say for longer than I was in Quebec and consider that from zero to, you know, 15, uh, even though I was communicating with mom and everything, obviously communicating externally was different. And, and, and so essentially spent more longer as an, as an adult than I did ever when I was in speaking French. Yeah. Right. Speaking English. And so, no, I don't, I don't think in French. In fact, uh, I got a, a few funny stories, but two of my teammates, well, we had lots of teammates that were French, but two of my teammates, I was partnered with at times for, you know, a couple of years or, or whatever. <laughs> and, um, and we didn't speak French in the car ever. Mm -hmm. Like, so there's two French, French born, French born and raised dude working together in a car and they only speak English and both of them have thick accent, you know, like <laughs> <laughs> those are the best, man. We had, uh, we had a whole bunch of, um, uh, of, uh, like Francophones that would come to, that would choose to come to the unit in, uh, at once CR here in Edmonton and they cho chose to do it because we all spoke English. And they were just, and we, we would every so often try to practice our French with them. And they'd be like, no, no, <laughs> I, I'm here to speak English. Let's speak English. Like, okay. You know, what's funny about that, man. And, and I think we would really do a disservice if we didn't bring this into the spectrum, because this is something that's not discussed very much, but everybody has a contention between English and French until you force them to hang out together. And then yeah, it's right. over. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Dude, I've seen it so many times. So many times. When I was in depot, we had an Anglophone who was in week six when we first got in. But because he was in a different troop and he was alone in a room, in a dorm room, they ended up having half of my troop in his room. That guy was was freaking semi-suicidal when he heard that he was going to be staying with the French troop, you know, for the better part of a four and a half months that he had left. At the end of the at the end of their training, you couldn't get that guy to hang out with his own troop. He <laughs> didn't. He was the mascot, he, dude. Yeah. He was. He just loved his life. He loved the boys. They barely understood each other. He was with them at all times, and it was just same scenario. I'm being sent on a on a marine operation course over in Quebec City. 
tough life. Three weeks in Quebec City in the summer with a hundred mm, guys. So sweet, hard, hard, hard days. <laughs> so, anyways, I, I, they they say uh, two two guys, myself and Seb Pilat, one of my teammates, great guy, one of the world's top climber. But anyways, he Seb Pilat and I are being tasked with going with QPP, which is the uh, the Quebec Provincial Police Tact Team. So they're they're tact team, they're tactical group or whatever, and uh, we want nothing to do with that. I want to do my course in English. I don't want to be translating for anybody. I don't want to do any of this. On Sunday, before the course even started, those guys had already established how crazy and how much fun this course was going to be. And three weeks later, if you ask me, are you, you, know, are you glad that you were forced to go with that crew? It was the best thing that happened to that course. I can guarantee it. You know, even though my mind was still going in English and everything was in English and I spoke English to everybody else and all this good stuff. So I think we really humans are in general are afraid of differences. We're afraid of, of, of you know, we're self-conscious in communication to begin with if we speak the same language. So if we don't, we automatically our insecurities. Everything is just exponentially increased. So it's just a, it's just a matter of understanding, man. There's been some very, very strong bond created between people that don't speak the same language. Take Marcus Luttrell and his uh, and his Afghani Pashtung uh, savior, yep. For example, yeah, but yeah. it's it's it all revolves around cool people. Sure, yeah. it does. You know, so <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the, uh, the the. So You're I have such to... a hippie. <laughs> <laughs> it's true, though, man. You know it. I know it. It's I do. <laughs> 100%. You know, the, the nice thing is, is that a lot of times uh, the initial, uh, I don't know, the, the initial feeling of awkwardness or um, not wanting to be around a, something that is different, it just blends away once you actually start looking at it. Because there are so many more similarities in life than we have differences. And it just it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense now. Yeah, unless you're super insecure, man. Like that's yeah, that's a good if, point. if you haven't done anything in your life, if you think that you're a pushover, if you blah blah blah, whatever, if you're insecure, if you're probably not as cool as you should be. <laughs> and if you're not as cool as you should be, chances are it won't be as awesome as it could have been. And so I mean, these are just simple human traits that can all be improved in order to just have more fun in life. Mm-hmm. And it's really funny because people have contentions and some people have experienced legitimate discrimination from people from other language groups and that kind of stuff. We're not discounting any of that, guys. This this happens and it can. And, and A, you know, the type of people that do, do those things are everywhere. And so, yes, it can happen. But gen- what we're talking about here is generally speaking, uh, and you will find that generally speaking, it, it isn't the case. Now, if you if you find yourself in trouble everywhere you go, you're the problem. That is a fact. fact. (laughs) Yeah. If you're the common denominator in everything that is happening, well, guess what? You're the common denominator. (laughs) You got to do it. And that's, that hurts. You're it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So we're just about an hour here. Any, any final thoughts on communication, on languages, on speaking, anything like that? Yeah, it would take like maybe 20 seconds or so to speak about conflict resolution, right? And I think we need we need to be doing an entire episode on that. There's no question yeah, that that needs yeah. to happen. Mm-hmm. And so the reason why I'm bringing this up is I'm seeing a lot of that going on right now. And people are having a hard time maintaining relationship, whether they're business relationship or, or, or romantic relationships or whatever the case may be. And I'm seeing a lot of the same things 
consistently returning to the table, which is, you know, an overinvestment emotionally, overinvesting in some of the things that are said and reacting a certain way. At the end of the day, we need to be making, I think we need to be making and we would benefit from having a conversation about how do we manage our emotion? How do we communicate effectively? How do we do this in the context of a conflict? Because clearly there's a ton of people out there that have no idea how to communicate in conflict and to delineate the emotional piece with the actual logical piece that that's needed so that you may have a conversation that goes somewhere. And I think we really need to dive into that. I see it everywhere right now. Agreed, pal. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm in. Let's do it. Let's, uh, let's get some, let's yeah. get some communicators in here and we can mm -hmm. uh, definitely do it. It'll be awesome. Um, Sean, any final points on communication on anything? No, great conversation. Uh, of course. And uh, thanks, Seb. I mean, I was going to say something weird, like, thanks for showing up, Seb. <laughs> so dumb. Don't let the door hit you on the way out. <laughs> it's, uh, it's just good hanging out with you, pal, and these yeah, kind man. of conversations that we just had. So organic. I mean, like, uh, we could continue this on for another four and a half days, but we won't because mm -hmm. we're just scratching the surface. And for anyone out there who's listening, all of the broad topics that we covered they could all be siloized and talked about for days and days. So don't think that anything was solved here other than if you heard something that interests you, just give it a little bit more of a deeper thought mm -hmm. for the rest of the day and see what you come up with. Yeah, we, we really, we grazed a lot of very deep, deep subjects today. And if you want more, research it, look, look for, look for communicators, watch Ted talks, get like in really really dive into it because you know being a communicator will serve you your entire life so that'd be a good thing to do and you can always continue to learn how to communicate better you can build your communicative skills and you can grow your base of communication so that's what we do here on the collective well thank you very much we'll see y'all tomorrow gmo 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 <laughs>